This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Hello, and welcome to another World of UX podcast. This is your host, Darren Hood. Thank you for taking the time to join me on today. And as always, welcome to those of you who are listening for the very first time. We just finished a series, a pretty long series, about 12 weeks, where we were talking on the topic, so you want to be a UXer? And we were spending time providing some insights for those who are interested in in becoming a user experience professional. We spent time in the early part of that series talking about a lot of the personality traits, which a lot of times get overlooked because people don't really think about whether or not they're really a match. It's something you need to do, not just for user experience, but for any and everything. We spent time talking about the work that UX professionals do to give you a, a nice sound idea of the types of work that you'd be getting into. Was it exhaustive? No, it's not. And we're going to provide some additional resources later, uh, part of what I'm going to be talking about, uh, maybe a little bit tonight. And, and if not tonight, we'll definitely get into that next week because I'm really excited about some things that are that are coming up. Uh, and then at the end of that series, the very end of that series, we spent time talking about basically the courage to transition in. And I told my story about how I transitioned into UX from be, having been a, a an instructional designer. And I was also doing some freelance web design at the time when I transitioned full-time into user experience as a profession. And, and when I thought about that recording last week, I started thinking, wow, you know what? I really didn't cover a whole lot. Uh, I think that I could uh, do a little bit more for people in helping them to understand what it is that, or how I should say, one would really transition into being a UX professional. So think of tonight as a little bit of a segue. I am going to spend some time tonight talking about the subject transitioning into UX. And then we'll say by position. I would like to spend some time focusing on five specific types of positions, the five that people seem to transition into UX the most from. And then we'll wrap up by looking at what I'll call an at-large type of, of transition. So to, just to do a little bit more justice than we did last week, because that was more of just an encouragement. The more I the more I thought about it, the more I listened to it. I'm sure a lot of people had questions. I'm sure some people were thinking, hey, I wish you would be more specific. Well, here we are. We're going to be more specific about it tonight. And I'm going to tell you up front what those five preliminary positions are. Instructional design, which I talked about, so I'm not going to talk about that much because that's where I came from. But there are some specific things that I think if I touched on it, I think a lot of people would benefit from that. Number two, I want to talk about transitioning from being a business analyst. Number three, a developer. And it might be a, a developer who has the title UX developer, whatever it is. If you're doing code, 
today and you're interested in getting into UX, we want to touch on that for you. Then we're going to talk about two that I'm going to sort of group together, but I want to mention them separately now, and that's being a graphic designer or a visual designer. And then we want to talk about the transition that a lot of people either have made or are making. Some people are creative directors and they are interested in working in UX specifically. Uh, Then we'll wrap up again with the at large. I'm going to give you a little bit of a warning today with this because as we get into the end of this presentation, there are some stark things that I want to mention because everybody doesn't transition into UX well. So when I say it as a warning, when we get to that part, everybody who listens to my podcast, you know, I'm going to shoot straight from the hip. I'm going to give it to you straight. I'm not going to sugarcoat anything. Uh, I'm not going to play games. I'm not going to waste your time. And there's a lot of people out there that when you, when you shoot from the hip and when you tell people exactly what they need to know, some people appreciate it. I get emails. I get notes from people telling me how much they appreciate the podcast and they appreciate the style and someone who would just tell you like it is and not beat around the bush and not play games. And then there's people that when you tell them like it is, they become extremely resentful. They send terrible, hurtful messages. Uh, They draw all types of conclusions and they start a lot of fear mongering. Folks, we are set here in this podcast to help current practitioners, new practitioners, ongoing practitioners, whatever, whatever angle you look at it from. Our goal is to help people and to help the discipline. There are a lot of people out there that are doing things to vault themselves. We are not into that at all. I hope you know and understand that. And if you don't, I'm surely not going to spend any time trying to convince you otherwise, because I know that when somebody is is subscribed, when they have subscribed, I should say, to a delusional mindset, there's nothing you can do about it. So I don't spend any time at all addressing people who are delusional. If you do want help, we're here. Again, if you have any, ever have a subject you want me to cover, let me know, but we're gonna give it to you straight. And I hope that you appreciate that today and we're just saying that these things to preface you before we get to certain parts, because you may find some of the things I'm going to say, they're going to be, you won't have considered them, not everybody listening. And so we want you to be prepared for that. We want you to be ready. Listen to it again. If you have to stop the recording and then sit there and give it some thought. Um, It does require a certain degree of emotional intelligence to listen to this podcast Because self-awareness is key. You need to know who you are. You need to know who you want to be. You need to understand who you are in light of what's being presented. Uh, And if you are in denial about anything, you will not be able to take any of this in, period. And I make no apologies. And I am not going to modify things. I am not in the business of, of enabling people. I'm not in the business of coddling people. I am not in the business of winning friends. I am in the business of helping people mature in UX and helping the discipline of UX mature as a whole. So that's it. Let's go. Number one, people who are transitioning into UX 
from having been an instructional designer or a trainer. Again, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because I talked about it not only last week, but in one episode where I talked about my journey into UX. One of the things that's really cool, and and you'll you'll note from last week's episode to this week's, I, I spent time last week talking about things that I did as an instructional designer that helped me to transition in. That applies to all of the the different fields that I mentioned. As an instructional designer, I spent time, or the instructional designers, if you really have been trained in instructional design, you will have been engaged in task analyses. You will have been practicing needs analyses. Hopefully, you will have spent time testing, depending upon the type of training that you're doing, but, but, but it will happen across the board. You need to test your the the training that you have designed to make sure that it is accomplishing what you're setting out to accomplish. You don't want to just roll out training and you haven't vetted it through anybody. You don't want to roll out training and it turns out that you people go straight to the class. You don't you don't test it. You go straight to the classroom and you find out that nobody can relate to what you're talking about. People can't perform different tasks, things of that nature. So you have to go through a quality audit, so to speak. And that's the reason why we will subject things to peer reviews. We will subject our content to some type of testing. I, I used to do a lot of CBT, computer-based training Uh, creation and I would actually conduct tests to make sure that people could perform the tasks that were presented in the training and to make sure that the training as presented, that the teaching frames, as we call them, that the teaching frames made sense. So when you're used to doing things like this in, in your regular job, you're used to validating things. You're used to being very user centered because our product was a well-trained individual. If your training was appropriate, if it was accurate, if it was beneficial, it would actually help people to do the tasks, to successfully perform the tasks that were reflected in your training. So we were able to measure what we were doing. We were able to measure the ROI. We were able to do the equivalent of validating whether or not KPIs were going to be met and then be able to predict to some degree how well we were going to meet those, again, KPIs. We didn't use the acronym KPIs. I'm paralleling it to things happening in the world of UX. So if you're already doing that as an instructional designer and it turns out that you're interested in being a user experience professional, you will have a much easier time of moving into the field because a lot of what we do is in direct alignment with a lot of things that are done as an instructional designer. And that's one of the reasons why instructional designers have one of the easiest roads to transition into UX. So that's one. If you're an instructional designer, you're interested in UX, or maybe you just want to stay over there and you want to do LX, like what I'm doing today, which is really LX is a combination of UX and CX, focusing mostly on the students as your users or your customers, you want to make sure they have the proper learning experience. So some people might just want to stay over there. That's fine. Um, But if you want to do it from more of a UX perspective, then you want to understand that you're already doing a lot of what UX people do. You might just need to sharpen your saw just a little bit and take a look at some of the things that we do 
from a UX perspective and then work at aligning yourself more and identifying the opportunities for optimizing that alignment. So, but that's it for the instructional designers. For business analysts, business analysts are also very close and it's because the business analyst a lot of times is focused on identifying the requirements, identifying the business needs and the user needs, identifying constraints, and then documenting all of the processes and all of the requirements to make sure that all those things are accounted for where you're only a stone's throw away from being a UX person. It's just that there are some some soft skills because instructional designers are already engaged a lot from a soft skills perspective, whether it's with the users or with the stakeholders or the clients. Business analysts are very, very detail-oriented, but there's a lot of times where the business analysts don't have the soft skills. Told you some of these things might ruffle your feathers a little bit but just here to tell you like it is. So that means that if you're transitioning into UX and you were a business analyst, it is highly likely because you were all about the details before. Well, we are very detail oriented as UX professionals. However, we have to manage relationships. We need to engage with people a lot, whether they're stakeholders, customers or users or whatever it might be, clients. And you may not have to as a business analyst, as a BA, maybe you didn't engage as much. And maybe you didn't, depending upon where you work and how things work, uh, it does vary. Uh, but in general, the, the BA is counted upon to bring all those details to the table. And that's it. That's what we want from you. That's it. And you can sit over there in the corner and you could be very withdrawn and you could be extremely introverted and you've got no issues over there and people love you to death and that's fine. But if you're going to make the transition, you are going to have to undergo some degree of change in order to be successful. So again, detail oriented, you could still, matter of fact, some UX people double as business analysts, but that means that they've got to manage both worlds and that's a huge challenge because of what is laid upon you from a UX professional perspective, your role could expand dramatically. As a developer, a developer is the person who's responsible for taking the designs and sort of bringing them to life from a perspective of coding. A lot of developers who want to, this is one of the problematic transitional roles because developers, a lot of developers, the average developer is what I like to call a closet designer. They really want to design and a lot of them try to design. Matter of fact, a lot of designs that we use in the wild today, no matter where it is, whether it's web, whether it's whether it's a software application, whether it's a website, an application, or whatever it is, a lot of them were actually designed by developers because the developers feel that they can design even though, wait for it, a lot of developers don't know how to design well. And a lot of developers are not very good at visual design. And they try to fill the role of the developer, the role of the UX person, and the role of the visual designer. And they fail miserably. We have a running joke, uh, some of us as UXers, uh, we would sit around sometime and identify uh, who, who does that. Oh, developer designed that. You could always tell when a developer did something because they're happy that it shows up in the window but they don't understand the task flow or some of the aesthetic elements. They don't understand things like emotional design impact and things of that nature. So it becomes a bit of a challenge. Uh, If you're transitioning in from being a developer, you have to get used to the 
to to collaborating. You have to get more, uh, become more accustomed to staying in your lane and respecting lanes uh, to be successful as a UX designer. You have to have a lot of respect for your peers and not as quick. As a matter of fact, not as quick. You just don't at all. You're not interested in stepping on toes. You want to do your part. You want to collaborate with your team, but you need to be respectful. You need to allow people to do what they do. And you need to get your eyes off of the code now and start to look at how users are going to engage, though that threefold uh, point of focus from the UX perspective, the user needs, the business needs, and the constraints. That's your focus now. You're no longer the code guy. Some people will say, well, don't you need to, to be able to code to be a UX person? Code has never been a part of the UX person's repertoire. It is something that a lot of people, especially startups, have tried to get somebody to wear multiple hats when they are taking on, they want the person to code, do UX, and do visual design, and then people started saying that that's what UX was. It has never been that, and somebody's perception of it doesn't make it true. Over 20 years, never been asked to code. Never. And it has never been, when you look at the discipline of UX, not somebody, not some one-offs job function, the discipline of UX, code has never been a part of it. So when you come over here to UX, you might say, well, it helps me to understand what's going on. Please shift your focus to understanding what's going on with the users and not what's going on with how to interact with people who are doing the code. Our focus is on the people who are going to be using the application. Focus needs to shift. If you're going to transition in, you need to do it the right way. And if you're going to bring your old person with you, there are certain perspectives that will indeed be beneficial, no matter where you're coming from. Absolutely. But you're no longer that person. So the, th- the needs that you met in your previous role they're like highly likely not to be a need here as the UX professional. So bring your perspective. Yes, we can use that. No question about it. But if you're going to be a UX professional, you need to shift. You're no longer the code person. We need you to look at marrying the business needs, the user needs, and the constraints associated with it. And that's it. Again, over 20 years, not one ounce of code. Not to do my UX work. And because I was a freelance web designer before, and I used to do some of the work that some other people are doing now, I have a perspective about what some of their challenges might be, and I can offer some input and maybe say a thing or two, but my responsibility, my deliverable, still revolves around the users and the business needs and the constraints and not around all these other things where I came from. It takes a lot of discipline to make a transition, folks, so be ready. Now, I told you we were going to group the last two together, pretty much, uh, the graphic designer and the creative director. And the reason for that is that the transition is almost identical in that in the world of the graphic designer and the creative director, and and it's really interesting to me that creative directors, not that they can't transition in, uh, but if you were a creative director, you were at the top of the food chain when it comes to being a creator, you would wonder why a person like that would want to go and be a UX professional. I'm just throwing that out as a rhetorical question and I'm leaving it at that. I'm not going to address it. What I am going to say though, is that graphic designers 
We're in a world of making things pretty. That's not our job as a UX professional. And so was the creative director. And, and so as you're moving into a UX position or you want to transition into being in a UX position, it's not our job to make things look pretty. Do we want it to look pretty? Yeah, we do. But that's not our job. That's not our point of focus. If something is pretty, but it doesn't work well, you've accomplished absolutely nothing. If it works well, it doesn't look pretty, then we want the people who are responsible to make it look better. We want to have a good sound aesthetic presentation so we can drive the emotional design impact, but that's not our main focus. We want people to be able to accomplish goals, complete tasks, to find the information that they're looking for. And so the look and the feel just helps us and it's, it, it provides great brand impact, but that's not our goal. So if you're transitioning in from the we make it pretty crew and ego usually goes along with that because uh, people always, there was a big ego associated with visual designs. There was also a very strong sense of ownership. Well, guess what? Over on the UX side of things, you can conduct research, you can conduct heuristic analyses, you can do all types of work and present something and the stakeholders may or may not embrace your recommendations. So on the UX side of things, we're not married to what we present. On the creative and the graphic side, I have seen meltdowns with people who are married to what it is that they present. He doesn't like that, that looks fantastic. And everybody showed it to, they said it's fantastic. Well, welcome to our world. That's what happens in UX. You can have all the data in the world that prove that you are 1 billion percent right. And folks will still say, well, no, I don't want to do that because I like this and I like having a call to action smack dab in the middle of, of the global navigation, even though it makes absolutely no sense and nobody's doing it. That's what I want. So everything that you've presented is now gone. And we, that's why we say you have to have thick skin as a user experience professional because people just won't get it and they will not listen. Also, just thick skin in general. A lot of people still don't understand what UX is, so no matter where you're transitioning in, what you're saying can make all the sense in the world, and people are gonna blow you off. That thick skin is gonna help you to maintain your sanity <laughs> and to just go back to the board and let's take on the next project and let's get going. That's where we live, folks. So that, that's the big thing I have to say about the graphic and creative directors, and those have been... I have found in my time in the UX, I've seen a handful of people who have made the transition from the visual design or creative world, such as the graphic designer, visual designer, creative director. I've seen a handful of people make that transition without uh, any problems, uh, without, uh, let's say, in, in, a, in an uneventful manner. But the vast majority of the people that I've talked to, that I've met, that I've seen, who have been graphic designers and directors, and actually a lot of developers too, uh, are very volatile emotionally. They still hold their, they wear their feelings on their sleeve. They're they're very, very uh, rigid and, and want to maintain that ego-centered mode of, of, con, uh, of operation uh, and are very volatile towards senior UX practitioners such as myself, even a lot of the LinkedIn engagements that I've had with people who have that type of a background, uh, frankly, have been some of the nastiest people. They are the quickest to get personal 
and and to be extremely rigid and and not be academic in their thinking and because UX requires that we be uh, that we are subscribed to continued education you have to have an academic mindset to succeed in UX but a lot of these people they do not have an academic mindset they will shoot you down and then follow that up with a lot of slanderous uh it, it, it's really sad because nobody benefits and we could learn so much from people who are coming in from those arenas but they'd rather fight than than to merge into a world that already exists. So in closing, with the la- at large, that's the last group. If you're coming from any other discipline and everybody else too, you want to learn what the discipline is about. You want to learn what UX truly is. You want to assess where you are and what you've done in the past that aligns with UX and then begin to just merge in. Drop the ego. That goes for everybody. Make sure that you are committed to doing things the right way. Make sure that you learn the history of UX, that you learn about the people who've gone before you in the discipline. Look and see what you can gain from them and, and what types of learnings that you can, can, can pick up from those people that will help you to become a better you and set you on the track to success in UX. Everybody can be successful, but it does take different things from different angles. Folks, a little bit of an extended uh, bonus version today or bonus edition, I should say, on the subject, but we want to make sure that everybody's covered. Know what you need to do to transition in, and let's get to it. I hope to see you at conferences. I hope to see you around. I hope to hear your success stories. I'm I'm already hearing a lot of success stories. Let's get to it, folks. You can do it today. Again, just make sure you do it the right way. You don't want to join the ranks of many who are falsifying their way in and things like that, and then uh, acting like they've been doing UX for years when they really haven't. Make the transition in. What you bring to the table, wherever you're coming from, has value. We understand that. So let's just jump in there and let's go forward. Sound good? All right. That's all we have for today, folks. And we'll have a a new topic for you beginning next week. So until then, this is Darren Hood, the host of the world of UX. Happy UXing, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.